Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. I am here in the studio with Dr. Berg, and uh, we are going to be recording this session for Theology 110, Intro to Theology, and we're going to be uh, discussing the third article of the Creed, of the Apostles' Creed, in light of Luther's large catechism. Um, we've explained now a number of times to listeners, so hopefully people uh, kind of understand what's going on now. I have posted it on our social media too. Um, but these sessions are being recorded since the college has gone online because of the pandemic and the uh, restrictions on the number of people that can be gathered together in uh, things, developments that, as that keep coming in even, um, which has made it wise for us to try to make use of various media um, for our courses. So I also have a YouTube channel, then now I shall take my lunch, um, that I've been using for some of my classes, and you students know to be looking here to the podcast as well. An email went out yesterday um, for resources for Theology 110. Other listeners, we're happy to have you listen along. We think you will get stuff out of this. Um, you won't have to have done a, a reading to be able to follow along, although students, you need to be doing the reading and turning in notes for it. Um, but... Uh, of all the things that we could be doing things based on readings for, the large catechism is probably one that anyone uh, or most all of our listeners could benefit from, uh, whether they be Lutheran or not. Uh, it's a point of history and theology. So with that being said, this will be Theology 110, Intro to Theology. The picture will be the kind of two fingers uh, uh, painting. Creation uh, of Adam. The creation of Adam from the Sistine Chapel. Um, so those will be, if you go on the website and scroll down, you'll see those pictures, meaning that's for this class, uh, and hopefully we'll be getting them in the um, podcatcher feeds as well. All right, the third article in the small catechism I'll briefly read and uh, use that as a starting point for us, and then Luther will expand on that. This is from the Wisconsin Synod translation, so it might be a little different for some, but it's, it's the same stuff. Um, so uh, the creed itself says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. What does this mean? The small catechism says, I believe that I cannot by my own thinking or choosing believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and fully forgives all sins to me and all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. And so maybe, Mike, what I can throw it to you for first would be, um, how, if at all, would you relate this third article to the previous two we've looked at? We've, um, I've done some YouTube videos on the commandments, but this is our third session now together on the, the creed. How would you, what is the creed building up to in the third article? How would you relate it to the second or first article? Yeah. So just briefly mention again, the second article is bigger because we know God through, through Christ and the Holy Spirit, um, is the one who is going to give faith. And if you notice that all of this is for us, right? I mean, the creed is just for us. The creation is gift for us. Jesus does all of this for our salvation. And if you notice the Holy Spirit in the third article, the Holy Spirit, um, even in his own article, it's not really talking about him. It's talking about the church and what he does with the church. And so there is a progression there in a, in a lot of different ways. 
you know, the Father, Son, and Spirit, um, it rolls off our tongues, and there's there's a progression there. But there's also a progression of this is what God has done for us. This is a, we screwed it up. Now Jesus is going to do this for us, and this is how it's going to get accomplished when it comes to faith through the Holy Spirit. I got a, there's a dear old member at the church that uh, we are members at right now, who um, she she knows I'm a pastor, of course, and so she's always uh, all the pastors that she meets she she kind of gra- points her finger at, at us and, and says, you guys don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough, right? <laughs> and she's right. We really don't. But at the same time, what are you going to say, right? And um, he is the silent partner in a certain way. He is pointing us to Christ. He has given faith. And, and um, the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work is the church. Um, you know who if, the Holy Spirit's like? Is it the offensive lineman? Yeah. I remember like in high school playing football, I'm, we're protecting the quarterback, you know, we're keeping him from and, getting and that, sacked. And, but the girls in the stands, you know who they weren't watching? The offensive linemen. They weren't like, man, did you see the guard pull on that play? They were like, oh, that quarterback. And, and we're not talking about the left tackle who gets a little juice yeah. once in a while, too. We're no, talking about the guards in the we're center. We're talking about the guards in the in center, there. yeah. And sometimes the center is like, oh, you know, he's so smart and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, but it's really the guards. Yeah. And, it, and the thing <laughs> is, the, the offense doesn't work without the guards, right. but... The guards are just kind of there doing their job, plugging away. An unsung hero. Jesus is like the quarterback. There you go. An unsung hero. Um, what, what would be the father then? Like head coach? I think, yeah, like a Vince Lombardi, Bill Belichick type. Okay. All right. Um, I, so mean, I probably the, just am a subordinationist now. I <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was say, we're going to stop here. None of these analogies should be pressed too far. We should, before we get into Christological problems. Yeah. Um, but, the, but if you're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, you can talk about the results of the Holy Spirit, which is the church, right? And that's the way it should be, that when we talk about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we make it about God first. And when we make it about God first, it's really about us. I just wrote a devotion about this, that when it's all about Christ, then it's finally all about us. And when it's about the Holy Spirit, it's going to be about his work in the church, right? So it's okay that when we read the third article, we're really talking about the church, even though it's the Holy Spirit's article, right? And there's certain limitations, right? He is spirit. I mean, uh, how much, you know, how much more can we say, right? Um, but I think, you know, to expand that talk about the Holy Spirit, though, there are things that he does, um, that the Spirit does, that we know about. It's not listed in the in the third article, which is, of course, true of all the three articles, He's praying for us, right? Interceding for us with uh, groans that words cannot express, right? Um, I love that analogy of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit praying to each other about us in a kind of way, like talking to each other, having a conversation about us. So the Spirit may be, you know, in one way more active than any other three persons of the trinity although that's not true but you know what i mean like it mm-hmm. constantly giving faith constantly working through the more means of grace in and with us yeah, yeah in in a sense more active and yet in a sense he is the one that we 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 don't talk about as much and and i think that's okay i think that's okay and so the holy spirit has tools and those tools are physical and that's an important thing because when people generally say you don't talk about the holy spirit enough what they mean is you're not talking about my feelings about faith as much yep. like this Holy Spirit has overcome me and I, and I'm, I, I have this uh, emotional response. That's what they're really after. At the same time, I do think it's a, it's a criticism 
that we should not take lightly that the Holy Spirit is at work here and to appreciate that here is a person who um, maybe, for example, has had just a terrible life or a refugee or something like that and still somehow has this strong faith in God. And you say, that's the work of the Holy Spirit right there. And that person is full of the Holy Spirit, not in a Pentecostal sense where it's going to come out in, you know, speaking in tongues and stuff like that, but um, which has happened, of course, but it is the ordinary person who has this faith despite maybe even despite all the evidence uh, that they can think of rationally, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And I think we probably Lutherans can maybe learn something from the evangelical world there that we appreciate that the spirits, that the spirit is at work among us. Yeah. And I think something um, that you brought out in there that's helpful to keep in mind too, is I think the, the Holy Spirit is the father is probably the most ecumenical member of the Trinity insofar as like, um, you can get, uh, you know, you something goes wrong in the world and you have one of these multi-religious, you know, um, prayer th- services. Uh, and, you know, the Our Father you can kind of pull off because the, the Abrahamic the faith Hindu, the Muslim, thing, yeah. the, the yeah. Jew, the Christian, you can kind of, okay, there's a Father God in heaven. Um, but I think uh, if, the, if the Father is the most ecumenical, so to speak, and I don't mean that ecumenical in a good way, but I'm not faulting the Father right, for that. Right, right, right. how he's used. Um, the Spirit is maybe the most generic mm-hmm. in that um, think of how we use the word spiritual or we talk about spirit otherwise. Um, you know, what's the song? The Spirit in the Sky. You know, and um, I think the Spirit is often understood by people as kind of like this force thing that's just kind of out and about. And when people are maybe inclined towards, pan, uh, you know, pantheistic type thinking it's the spirit that's animating things and what they miss in something that's very explicit in lutheran theology and ought to be in all christian theology because it's biblical is the spirit is bound to something Mm -hmm. right when it comes to the spirit working for faith and for the forgiveness of sins um, the spirit is bound to the means of grace Mm -hmm. right and the spirit is bound itself to the means of grace god is bounded to the means of grace um, so it's not this floating about thing to be harnessed or simply to be emotionally felt apart from word and sacrament. Um, if we say we're spiritual, but that spirituality doesn't have something to do with the means of grace, well, then the spirit we're talking about is not the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. um, the third person of the Holy Trinity. And so I think that will be important for us to understand, too, because in this third article, Luther is connecting the work of the, the Spirit to very specific things, and so is the creed, right? Keep in mind, um, I believe in the, the Holy Spirit. Well, what? The, the Holy Christian Church, which he calls and he gathers and he enlightens. The communion of saints, that is that we are declared holy, we are forgiven. The forgiveness of sins, right? This is what the Spirit is working for. So the big things, as Luther says in the large catechism, that the Spirit is doing is gathering the church and forgiving sins. And he's doing that especially through the means of grace. Now, that's not to say that the Holy Spirit is God is not omnipresent. Mm-hmm. But the just as Christ is for you in the gospel, so the Spirit is for you in the means of grace. Um, and there I would agree with you. Sometimes we uh, we could talk more about the Spirit and what's taking place in the— I mean, the Holy Spirit in connection with the means of grace— 
usually gets mentioned kind of in passing. Well, what gives the means of grace its power? And then the you know the sixth grader goes, the Holy Spirit. Amen. And you go, that's correct. Good job. <laughs> uh, but that is the and and that God has bound Himself to these means of grace for gathering the Christian church and for forgiving sins. Not because he couldn't do it otherwise, not because he isn't a great enough God to come up with something better, but out of love for us. Um, as we have, and, and Mike, you might want to unpack on this a little bit if you want to, because I know you've worked with the theology of the cross and the hidden God too, right? God hides uh, oftentimes. Where is God in the coronavirus? Mm-hmm. Now, if people haven't, they will already start coming up with explanations for this. Usually some other group will be blamed, right? Or some behavior. We'll pick someone who did some behavior and we'll say, this is why we have the coronavirus. Now, that's theodicy and we ought not do that. I'm anti-theodicy. Are you anti-theodicy? I'm anti-theodicy, but we get we got to go pretty darn close sometimes. Mm-hmm. right? We, we get up to the line and then we say, nope. And, and that would be, we should do something on theodicy sometime. Yeah. But it's not our job to try to figure that out. Uh and, but people will want to find, well, where is God in there? God's hidden in that. But we do know where to find him, and we find him in the means of grace and word and sacrament, and we find him there as a gracious God. Mm-hmm. We can perhaps find God elsewhere, but we will find an angry God, a wrathful mm-hmm. God, right? And so uh, <clears throat> this is the danger of wanting to look beyond the places where God has bound himself to. And this is why God in love binds us to those places. So even in the midst of his hiddenness, even in the midst of a pandemic, we need not go, where is God in all this? If I ask that, Mike can say, Wade. Behind the nurse, uh-huh. behind the truck driver, that's where God is. Yeah, right? he's in the vocations of yeah. your neighbors, according to the first article. Yeah. And according to the third article, he's in the preached word and in the Lord's Supper. Yeah, so, you know, there's two two things to go at here when we say, why does God limit himself? Well, first of all, one is a maybe kind of we could tie to the sovereignty of God. He is going to be found where he chooses to be found, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So we should not, we dare not go looking in other places. He's not, a, think of Elijah with God is there in the, the still yeah. small voice. Yeah, and then the second, as you mentioned, is a gracious God. So I would always say, listen, God, you know where you can find God, and and it seems so limiting. Oh, what about I? You know, I have this spiritual in, in my, you know, in my by hiking up into the Rocky Mountains, I felt God there and stuff like that. But we'll come back to that. But God limits Himself for your benefit, so you know where to go. You don't have to climb a high mountain to find some spirituality. And notice how He comes in such um, ordinary ways. You know, I mean, you think about oil being connected to the Holy Spirit and anointing in the ancient world. You think about water, bread, and wine, uh, words on a page. Everybody had access to these. And it's it's not lost on me that water, wine, oil, um, those were the staples of the Mediterranean world, right? The, everybody had access to those things. So I, I would often say, this is where you find... And, they, and smoke machines. They yeah, all had smoke right. machines. This is where you find God in word, communion, baptism, and absolution. And for your convenience, we pastors get together every Sunday morning to do that, right? I mean, so you know where to go. You're not searching for some sort of enlightenment inside of yourself or outside. The the thing about the hidden God, you know, God chooses to be found where, God seeks to be found where he 
where he wants to be found. And it's almost always going to be backwards to us. This is the theology of the cross versus the theology of glory. Um, but God hides masks, and when he hides, he hides to be revealed. It's a paradox. So when he hides, he hides to be intimate with us. So um, you can think of, you know, go, we could not go to Mount Sinai because it would blow us away. So what does he do? Well, he, he puts himself in the temple in a certain way. He's hiding there. Um, he hides in nature, that's for sure. But in nature, we don't get gospel. We only get law. We can get beauty, we can get uh, uh, majesty, but we, we don't get gospel. So he hides in the pages of scripture. He hides in the flesh, uh, Jesus Christ. He hides in uh, uh, word. He hides in communion. He hides in baptism. He hides in vocation. And yes, he even hides in suffering. And in those things, he becomes intimate with us. He becomes very close to us. Um, he's hiding. I hate to use this example, but I just can't help but... You know, Mrs. Doubtfire, if you don't know what that movie is, right? The, yeah. the, the, the man, uh, the father who is barred from seeing his children becomes a, hides behind literally a mask uh, of, of dress and makeup as a, as a nanny so that he can be close with them. The difference, of course, is that even though God is hiding, he wants us to, he wants to be revealed to us in that way. It's like, it's like the, uh, you know, the four-year-old who's hiding behind the drapes giggling. <clears throat> You yeah. know, when you're as a parent playing, yeah. God is, is somewhat like that, right? He, uh, uh, in the means of grace, he, he might look like bread and wine and water, right. but he wants to be found. Right, right. He wants to be found for sure. And in that way, he's intimate. So where is God in this pandemic? Uh, working behind the mask of nurse. Literally, literal right. mask. Hopefully yeah. Yeah. they <laughs> have them. Double masks there, yeah. Uh. So, um, <clears throat> and in that way, in the same way, so the Holy Spirit is going to be tied to something physical right? So the spirit is physical, even though that seems like an oxymoron, the spirit is going to use physical means. And so where do I want to be spiritual? Where do I want to, uh, you know, hate to say this, but feel spiritual? Where do I want to have a contact with the Holy Spirit? Well, it is primarily going to be word and, and meal and baptism and absolution. It's going to be at the church. And that's why we go right into the third article. We're talking about the church. Now, there's other things, too, of course. We already mentioned prayer a little bit. Um, certainly um, in prayer, that is a spiritual thing. It's not a means of grace. It is a gift that God has given us. He teaches us the language of love. And when prayer is tied, again, with the word of God, then um, it's really the word of God that is doing this, being a means of grace. And maybe we should just... Talk about being what is a means of grace. We kind of use that phrase, yeah, I was and I'm thinking about I, it. So, I was throwing it around, and this is so hard. I, this was like I would drill this into our kids, and I thought I used a good examples and in, in, in catechism class when I was in the parish, and they could never get around this concept. I would say, by what means of transportation did you get here? Some of them rode the bus, some rode a bike, some walked, some had their parents uh, drop them off, and then I would say, okay, so the means of grace is the means by which. God's grace is delivered to you from point A to point B. They still get it wrong. There, there's a disconnect. It's very hard yeah. to have that, that concept. So what we mean by means of grace is literally this is how it gets delivered to you. And the Spirit's doing that. And the Spirit has a toolbox. And the Spirit's toolbox is word, absolution, communion, and baptism. Um, and that's why, not to open up a uh, Pandora's box here, but that's why I refer, I, I prefer to talk about the sacraments as three, 
right? Because these are the means of grace. Um, and we can argue about the definition of that, but then we read Melanchthon telling us not to argue about the definition of that in the, <laughs> in the, uh, the apology. So um, the spirit uses physical means. That is because he, not because he is limited, but because he has, from our point of view, limited himself so that we know where to go. Can he do anything he wants? Yes, of course. Are there things he's doing that I have no idea? Yes, of course. But God wants to be found where he seeks to be found, and he told us where to find him. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. And the word of God helps us navigate all of this. And so if I feel spiritual and I have this, I have this burning in my heart, yes, it may come through the word of God and the spirit, but it also may be heartburn. Yeah. You know, so how do I check this? How do I check the spirits? Well, I go to the word of God and that becomes the, um, the final arbiter of whether I know this is real or not, right? So my feelings come and go and we're not anti-feeling. Oh my goodness, absolutely not. What we're saying is I'm not going to trust my feeling any more than I'm going to trust my reason. I trust both a whole heck of a lot, but I am going to, I'm going to test that against the word of God. Yeah. And so maybe just to take a couple other concepts and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. But, um, So when, one of the things that Luther brings out uh, is that the Spirit does God's sanctifying work, mm-hmm. or we can call him the sanctifier. And here's a word, sanctification, that is also maybe a word that people don't always understand that well. If and we the, think of, well, just briefly, if we think of sanctification, another word that's helpful to keep in mind is justification. So justification is that we're declared not guilty uh, for Christ's sake by grace through faith. Justification is forensic. Uh, if you took forensics in high school, you spoke things. Uh, it is a spoken verdict. Sanctification sometimes is confusing because I would say, Mike, um, correct me if I'm wrong, in Lutheran circles, maybe maybe more so I can just speak to my personal experience, sanctification often gets used most according to its narrow sense, yeah. meaning yeah. kind of the Christian life. The word sanctification, uh, you can hear in it sanctus. And the sanctus is when we sing in the divine service, holy, holy, holy. Uh, think of cities in America like San Francisco, San Jose, San Diego. That san, the root there is saint or holy. So sanctification is, san- is sanctification or holyification in a sense. But sanctification in its broad sense as a catch-all term which maybe is how it gets used more than the narrow sense, I would right. say, in the, uh, in the epistles, is everything God does to save you, to make you who you are. So those who are justified are also perfectly sanctified in the broad sense in that they are innocent, blameless in God's sight. That being said, um, we still have a sinful nature. We are simul justus et peccator. You might remember that term on the board from a while back. We are at the same time a saint and a sinner. And so the Christian life also is a, a struggle. Now, in that Christian life, the Spirit is working for us and in us and through us. And so we can speak of sanctification in the narrow sense as being us living out that faith in our Christian life. A big debate becomes then, well, is that progressive sanctification? Well, I think it's unhelpful to think of it as like... Um, I'm trying to draw like a chart with my hand. Mm-hmm. It's not very good. As if it's just a consistent upward mm-hmm. trajectory. 
Um, in fact, I would say that a better way to think of it is exactly opposite, the downward. Our, our growth in our Christian life is growing deeper and deeper and deeper into our dependence upon Christ. Mm-hmm. The more the Spirit is at work through us, the more we decrease and, and Christ increases, the more we are growing in the Christian life. And then that will uh, manifest itself in, in fruits. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily bananas, oranges, apples, grapes. We don't get to pick them. <clears throat> but this is, uh, this is growing deeper into Christ. Uh, no one grows in the Christian life by becoming less dependent upon Christ. You might be doing better works than you were doing before in civic righteousness, but you're not becoming a better Christian. The, the, the less you're dependent on Christ, mm-hmm. um, the less faith you have. Faith by its very nature is trust, right? Um, and so it's growing in our trust and our dependence upon, upon Christ. Um, so we can have uh, the scripture say something like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And when I was coming from Catholicism to Lutheranism, uh, that was something I had heard from more than one priest who I had talked to is, you know, well, the apostle does say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But uh, I still remember talking to my Lutheran pastor that I was taking classes with, and he said, well, look at the next verse. And the next verse is, for it is God who works in you to will and to do. So this is not a moving away from God or Christ. And maybe, Mike, any thoughts you might have on sanctification? Because it's a term, I I would say, sometimes how I hear hear it heard, and I'll I'll admit, I'll be honest, sometimes how I used it, especially Mm -hmm. earlier in my ministry, it was almost a more beat people over the head about behaving word mm-hmm. than an appreciation for what God is doing word. Yeah, so broad sanctification is the whole work of, of the Holy Spirit. And then the narrow meaning of sanctification is the holy life that we, we live. Think Ephesians chapter 2, right? Good works that have been prepared in advance for us to do, which are always about neighbor, not about ourselves, because we're free from that. And so... Yeah, there's going to be a result of that. Yes, there's going to be fruit, but it's only a, a part of it, right? So, and I like it, your analogy about, you know, becoming more dependent on God. Like, here's just a general thing, and I won't go too deep in here. We, we've talk, talked about this before that, you know, when we talk about growth, you don't notice that you're growing. You only look back upon that you grew. And that same as That's why Grandma growth. maybe marks it on right. the wall so you can see. Yeah, and I and I bet that uh, you you stopped caring about those marks on the wall, the on the doorpost, even though you're still growing because you became a teenager and you had better things to think about. Yeah, you were worried about armpit hair. Yeah, and so <laughs> I think there's a great moment when you get to the point when you stop asking yourself if you're spiritually growing or not. <laughs> like, who cares? I'm so free from that. I'm so free from caring about how tall I am. I am so busy out into the world doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so that small sanctification is something that kind of creeps up on us, right? We're doing what's in front of us and we look back and say, God put us in the right position so we, that we did spiritually grow. So if you are asking yourself the question, am I spiritually growing right now? The answer is always going to be no, if you're honest, because you can think about everything that's going wrong in your life and everything that you have screwed up. It's, it's so much better to be free from that. So, Sanctification can be a very difficult word, and we got to be very careful, of course, theologically, not to uh, mix up justification and sanctification. That's why it's very unfortunate that we do have this word sanctification that can be used in a broad sense and a narrow sense, right? Um, it, it becomes very difficult to, to, to navigate that. So I, I think the best way to think about it is you're justified that has nothing to do with your small sanctification. 
this overall making you holy, declaring you holy, making you something different, some person who is free, but also a person who is going to produce fruits, um, that overall word of sanctification is, is great. But the small sanctification is the results of that. S sanctification, small sense, does not then affect your justification. Justification comes first in that way. So big sanctification first, you are made holy, declared righteous by the Holy Spirit's work. A part of that is going to be the results, but it has nothing to do, it, it doesn't negate grace at all. So when, like when you think about the small catechism, you go called, the Holy Spirit calls, enlightens, sanctifies us, and keeps us in the true faith. You know, I mean, all of that is kind of talking about salvation. I'm called by the gospel. Yep. There's conversion. I'm enlightened to see both the law, but then also and my that's Savior. the large catechism too. That when he talks about spirit as sanctifier, the two big things he's going to talk about is um, bringing us into the church and forgiving sins. But yeah. sorry, go ahead. And then sanctification, the overall thing. But this is going to be the fruits. This is going to be the results. And then one, we don't think about it. It's going to keep us in the true faith. Mm -hmm. Like, let's not stop worrying about this. It's not stop like it starts with the spirit and then he's like, okay, you guys got it from here. Right. It's not like a spark that he gives you and now you're on your own. Yeah. A, a deist Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> if we can say something like, here you go. Now you're on your own. I hope it works out. Spir make sure you spiritually grow and work out your salvation. Yeah. No, it's, it's worked out by him and he's going to keep you in the true faith. He's going to keep enlightening you. He's going to keep even calling you, even though you're already called, but keep calling you to say, here's the gospel. Come, here's the gospel for you. And I continue to do good works through you. That's why it's just, it's just so darn helpful to understand vocation and, and sanctification for the sake of others, not mm -hmm. for the sake of sanctification itself. God doesn't give a flying flip if, you're, if you do you good works or not. <laughs> he doesn't care if you're doing good works or not. He already loves you. These are for your neighbors, right? So stop measuring yourself, right? Mm -hmm. um, at some point, you got to stop caring about how tall you are. Yeah, I agree. A um, couple last things. <clears throat> Communion of saints. Luther says here, this is most especially talking about the congregation of saints, right? He brings us into the gathering of the church. Um, I don't see any reason to have a big dispute over that to try to make this uh, primarily about Holy Communion. Although, I, th I mean, I'm not completely dismissing that there could be a reference to that, too. That's what the ch saints do when they gather. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's what we do, yeah. Celebrate the sacrament. Um, but maybe uh, right before that, the communion of saints, something people will notice depending on a, what church they go to on a Sunday is uh, the title of the church can be a little bit different. Sometimes, I know for me, coming from Catholicism and then coming into the Lutheran church, the first few times I went to a divine service, uh, I kind of stumbled when it was, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy yeah. Christian Church, right. we said. Um, and I was used to the Holy Catholic Church. Um, the Holy Catholic Church is not wrong, but we want to make sure we have the, the size of the C correct. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, do you talk about this in worship at all, Mike? Or? We do just briefly when we talk about the creed and how it's so ecumenical and that's so beautiful. But what we mean, Catholics, there's a couple roots there, but the Catholic, what we mean is universal. Like it's the whole church. And so, you know, historically... The Western Church took the name Catholic, while the Eastern Church took the word Orthodox. They're both Catholic and right. Orthodox, yeah. right? And Lutherans would claim to be both those things, too. Yeah, Small C Catholic, the Church is for all, it's universal, yeah. and Orthodox, we're right-believing. Yeah. yeah, and I, I, I would prefer that we use that just so that we could get over kind of that word Catholic and understand what it is. We don't mean 
Roman Catholic Church is the denomination. Right. We mean Catholic. And, and what it is is actually it's a very bold statement to the Roman Catholic Church that say we are a part of the universal yeah. church. And that's why you'll, you'll almost always hear me. I try to be very careful about it. When I talk about the Catholic Church, I almost always put Roman before yeah. it. Yeah. And sometimes I even prefer to talk about the Roman Church. Right. Um, and it's because I have a particular sensitivity to not wanting to give up that term. And if you're, if you're uncomfortable with calling yourself Catholic because you don't want to be Roman Catholic, please understand that if you use the word Catholic in the creed, and you don't have to, Christian's fine, and there's translations, yeah. that, ancient translations that had uh, Christian. And that's what I want to get us but to you, get to in a moment. Yeah. But you're, you're actually sticking it to, to the Roman Catholic doctrine, which yeah. says you Lutherans, you Protestants, um, you evangelicals are outside of the, of the church, and not just the Roman Catholic church, but the Holy Christian church. And so that actually is a pretty powerful kind of thing. It's the opposite of what we think it is, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is, that happens so often, like when you, when, when someone claims somebody as being a little bit too uh, Roman Catholic, it's actually, actually, I'm kind of sticking it to the Pope if you really think about it, yeah. but that's not the point. So, you know, whatever. So, yeah. Um, but Catholic's the, but the a good Christian word. you mentioned, it's not, Lutherans did not change the creed. We didn't go, we're going to say Christian instead of Catholic. No. Um, in German, especially, oftentimes Christian was what was used there, mm-hmm. and and the, that Christian does appear in in, in creeds, um, going back quite some time. So if you hear someone say, "Well, you Lutherans changed the creed," that is not true, yeah. um, especially because Lutheranism, uh, the the national backgrounds that came out of um, Christian was a, was a common way of expressing this. So so both sides of that are maybe worth knowing. And then just lastly, Mike, and, and this is one you could talk on for hours. I'm going to give you a minute and a half to two minutes. We believe in the resurrection of the body. We, we're sure to put that in the creed. Um, Christianity, Christianity in the body. Uh, I'm talking physicality, Mike. Yeah. What, uh, why is that so important, especially in view of how other religions tend to treat the body? That uh, I mean, that we, we're wrapping up the creed with this. The resurrection right. of the body is connected with the life everlasting. Yeah, and and, and uh, not that the uh, the original framers of this meant that, but you began with creation of the body, you know, I mean, implied there, and you're going to end with there's going to be the new creation, right? I mean, it goes full, full circle there, and and that the we're not trying to get outside of the body. And so, you know, it's very physical, like, oh, the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to talk about all these physical things. And the resurrection of the body, it's a claim on reality. Right. This is not just some sort of spiritual thing that you're going to be. You're going to be outside of the body, and then you, you, you are floating up like there Casper. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not a religion that is, in a sense, gnostic that says we're trying to get out of the body, but it's actually worse than that. Your sin, your your soul is sinful. It's not like it's just the body is sinful. My soul too, but, or your yes, yours too. But oh, the redemption man. of both is so powerful. The body's good. We get to enjoy it. We're going to have a perfect body. And, and just like Christ does. And, and, and this is so powerful because for, I, I bet for you and me, the, the Apostles' Creed is not really the catechetical creed or the baptism creed. It's the creed we said with people in the hospital when yep. they're about to die. Yep. And to say, how many times did we say, I know, Myrtle, your body has betrayed you, but you're going to have a perfect body. I didn't you say it like are going to have a perfect yeah. body, right? I mean, I said it like that, but yeah, not exactly yeah. like that. But. So just that powerful imagery, that's why the Apostles' Creed is so cool, and you really should have it memorized. You know, it is the baptismal creed it begins. It's what you studied, but it is, believe me, it is going to be one of those things at the end, and then to end with that body as that body is 
deteriorating or 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 the family that as uh, as about to bury somebody because they have passed away to to thumb your nose at God and say that, or that the devil and death and say there is going to be this body and it's going to be beautiful again and how how one, it's going to be better than it was now. There's just so much imagery right there, and so the Apostles' Creed. Uh, you know, can we say it's the death creed? Because I, you know, from a pastoral point of view, it really well, is. You read the New Testament, and death is life. And how and how many times you and I have been there where you're trying to have a conversation with Myrtle, but she's out of it, and you're like, I don't know if I'm if she's listening to anything I say, but let's have a devotion anyway. And then you start, I believe in, Isn't that and then awesome? all of a sudden, yep. boom, they're there, and uh, they they don't have any energy and have no time to listen to your small talk. But when there comes the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed, there they are with those words. Oh, it's just, I mean, it's so, it's so moving. And that is the emotion that the Holy, based on the Holy Spirit, yeah. right? And I'll just say briefly, and this is not a place for a bully puppet, but pastors especially, I know we like variety and I know our people clamor for variety, but this is, especially in the light of this uh, pandemic and the quarantine and, well, maybe we don't want to have to touch the hymnals, um, how many single-use bulletins should we print with everything in there? And this is something I'm excited about with the new hymnal, if I understand how they're doing it correctly, um, is I believe it's going to be the same text for all the services. Mm-hmm. There is really something to letting your letting your people learn the liturgy and learn the um, the set text by heart because at moments like that and at moments like this, uh, for families to be able to um, pray the service at home, the parts that are applicable, that is, uh, is a is a powerful thing. Last question for you, Mike. We believe in the resurrection of the body, right? You follow mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> one year of your life, you get your body from that year. What would you pick? Um, well, I, you want to go where you're the skinniest. You know, that's my first, so, you know, like 18, 19. Um, but I sure had a whole lot of fun at 21. <laughs> You'd go with that body? I'm go with 21. Yeah. I think uh, I got in my best shape and still hadn't lost as much hair as later subsequently happened. Yeah. Um, I would say right coming out of seminary. So uh, that was 2004. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I was still 26. I'm going to go with 26. All right. That's not fair. I mean, anywhere from between like 18 and like. What if you would have picked like three? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you're out of diapers, hopefully. You yeah. Know? I mean, that, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate everybody listening along. Um, we're going to be recording some more episodes today, and then we have a faculty meeting um, planning out the rest of the semester. I pray students, all of you are doing well. Listeners, I hope you are doing well uh, as well. Do not unsubscribe us because there's so much content coming. Um, you can change your download settings. Um, please bear with us through this. And our hope is that you get a lot of content worth listening to as well. In the meanwhile, in the face of pandemic, uh, economic recession concerns, uh, I don't know, No Twitter, baseball. Yeah, no sports. Um, Netflix, I heard now, in the European Union, and maybe here is going to be asked to slow, slow down, streaming yeah, speeds. Yeah. In the face of all that... Uh, Let's together let the bird fly.